0: Thanks for downloading the South Everett Foursquare podcast. This is Pastor Chris Pepler, and you've joined us for our journey through the Gospel of Luke. You can find us every weekend on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at the Village on Casino Road, or check us out on our website at southeverett.org. Thanks again for downloading. We hope to see you soon.
1: When the people of God gather in the presence of God, this is the kingdom of God. and The king is on the throne, and his, his reign is among us. In, in, the, in the Gospels, it's often described as like a feast or like a party. So I know we all had different kinds of weeks and probably a little bit of exhaustion or a little bit of trial. But here we are together, and here we are in the presence of God. And it is good. 14 verse 15 hearing this a man sitting at the table of jesus exclaimed what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of god jesus replied with this story a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations when the banquet was ready he sent his servants to tell all the guests come the banquet is ready but they all began making excuses one said i have just bought a field and must inspect it please excuse me another said i have just bought five pairs of oxen And I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys in the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported there's still room for many more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. When the people of God gather in the presence of God, it is a feast, it is a party, and we want the room full. Yes. I just think those people were turning down the feast because they didn't actually understand that it was a blessing, not a duty. Right? When it's a duty, like, oh, I've got some other duties, and they out-prioritize it. But to gather with the people of God in the presence of God is not a duty. It's a blessing. Amen.
2: We worship the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who will. Ever- How to the Lord today and we walk your power
0: this morning, we will be in the Gospel of Luke, second week in Luke. This week, we're going to take a, one, take a look at one little passage here in Luke 18. Uh, that's going to be verses 9 through 14. So turn there, we'll get there in a few minutes. As you know, we are, or if you do not know, we are going through the Bible project. We're going through the Bible over the course of however long it takes us. So far, we're going on two years. Investigating one book after the next, looking for things about Jesus and his word that we hadn't discovered before, uh, and being okay with our identity as growing learners who don't know it all yet. I know for myself, I do much better when I realize, you know what, I don't know it all. I'll never know it all, Uh, but it's okay to just keep learning as we go, and we want that to be true about God's word every single day. That there would be revelation that would come from his word that would help us right now. And it would help somebody around us right now. And so we're doing this massive biblical overview from Genesis to Revelation with the aid of the Bible Project. And so each week having the chance to view the videos that come out through the emails I send. If you're not getting those, you can feel free to let me know, and we will send those to you. Uh, this last week, we had the opportunity to view Luke Part 2, put together by The Bible Project. It's a little eight-minute cartoon that's about as much attention span as I got sometimes, and so we just go with it, right, Rich? Yep. Rich and Amy, can we welcome them again this morning? They're here with us. Uh, Uh, Rich and I and Amy stay in touch. And so, uh, again, about belonging. Uh, You have moved, but you always belong to this family. And we're glad to have you with us this morning. And Lauren did a fantastic job last week talking to us about story. That Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, was simply reporting the firsthand accounts of others who had spent time with Jesus. And we learned that not only did Luke have a story to tell, but we all have a story to tell. And then we spent some time practicing telling our stories this week was in a conversation with my friend richard but richard and i were sitting in his uh home on tuesday afternoon watching the phillies and i know this to be true about richard and his story i've spent enough time with richard to know that when he starts telling a story i just want to hit record on my phone and capture what he has to share because he has a good story to tell um He is living a life of someone who is growing and being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And it's just a beautiful thing. And so I asked Richard, I said, hey, since we're talking about Luke and talking about telling stories, would you come up the conclusion of our gathering and share a little bit more of your story with us so that we could know you uh, and, uh, and that you could know us? And so he will come and do that in just a little bit. The gospel is a story. It's real stories about real people who are following a real Savior named Jesus. That's it. It's simple. These are real stories. They're not fairy tales. Once we come to understand that there is historical backing, that Jesus actually walked the earth, actually made claims about his lordship, actually died, actually rose from the dead, actually ascended, and actually sent his Holy Spirit, then it becomes applicable for us. Fairy tales are fairy tales, and the gospel is a true story about the lives of people who are impacted by Jesus. That is the hope of the gospel. We've staked our lives on it. And those who have encountered Jesus couldn't help but tell the story. Those who met him in person said, I must write this down. Others must know about this reality. And those who heard second-hand accounts also were interested in hearing and telling those stories. That's what we find in the person of Luke. Some, like Matthew, Peter and John had real first-hand encounters with Jesus in the flesh. I can't ever read John's introduction of Jesus to the early church enough because of the angst that you sense, the, the excitement in his soul to tell the story, but the angst of like, oh, if you could have met him. And so he does everything in his power, and you can read along here, 1 John 1, 1-4. This is how he begins... His first of three letters, the epistles, not the gospels, but the three letters. He says this, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at in our hands, have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. This life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with the son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. What he's asking for is belonging. He, you could just, God has called us a family. We just want you to belong. That's what happens when someone has a first-hand encounter with Jesus. They can't help but give their life away that others might know the hope of who he is. Now, others like us in this room tell an entirely second-hand account of the person of Jesus. It's different. We didn't get to see him, but because John wrote what he did and the other disciples wrote what they did, and because it was empowered by the Spirit, we have fellowship with them. So their prayer has been answered, that we would have fellowship with them because of their fellowship with Jesus. But it's important that we ask ourselves and remember, how is it that I know Jesus again? How is it that I know God in his word again? How do I know who he is and how do I separate that out from the voices that are telling me something different? And let me tell you, our culture is full of those voices today. Where it's very easy to slide off and say, well, God is this and God is this and God isn't this. Because, well, why? Because I heard it. On CNN? Oh, I don't know, because I heard it on Fox News. I don't know, because I heard it at the movie theater. I don't know, because I heard it in some song I listened to. Like, we have to remember how we know God. We know God through His Word. Amen. That's why we come together and read His Word. Because every day it has something to offer us. We know God by the power of His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is known as our intercessor, as our comforter, as our paraclete. Isn't that wonderful to know that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to call us into the work that he has for us? He is our helper. So we know God through his word. We know God through the spirit and we know God through the testimony of other believers throughout history and today. So we look at these gospel accounts and then we ask ourselves, how have our lives (laughs) been impacted by Jesus? And then we tell good stories to each other, like we did last week, like Richard will do with us in a few minutes today. You see, Luke was one of those followers of Jesus who never met Jesus in person, but soon found himself as an active participant in the life of the early church. He was a Gentile doctor, so details mattered to him because he was a physician. He was caught up with the inclusionary nature of this Jewish king. As a Gentile, who is this man that's calling me in to his citizenship? Not only kingdom citizenship, but this message is for more than just the Jews. It piqued his curiosity. This could be for me, as someone would come to the streets to invite me to a banquet that I thought was prepared for only those who had the right blood type or ethnos. Or social status it's for me I can belong. I have a place here. This was the curiosity that piqued him to ask the questions of those who knew him. what was he like? What was he like? We found out from Luke and we find out from Matthew and others that Jesus was in fact from the tribe of Judah that he was Jewish by nature. Matthew goes into great account making sure that we understood that but Even though he was from a certain tribe, he was for all tribes. Every tribe, tongue, and nation Jesus came for. And Luke made sure that we knew about it through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And although Luke never met Jesus, he would find himself paired with another unlikely candidate for the grace of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, who started as Saul. His resume started with breathing out murderous threats against those who followed Jesus. That's a tough way to begin our walk with Jesus, isn't it? Breathing out murderous threats against him. But that was the case. But God is inclusive. So he said, well, I'll use that guy too. So here's Luke and here's Paul. And they would travel together across Rome sharing the hope of the gospel. And though they never met Jesus in the flesh, that makes them like us. They befriended those who knew him in the flesh and they recorded the story. Yet they also lived the story. We didn't plan it this way as we started going through this part of the gospel project, this Bible project, but our focus has seemed over the last few weeks to have been more about the person, the disciple who was writing about Jesus than the message of the gospel itself. But what we have found ourselves focusing on with Matthew and with Mark, now Luke, is about their lives. Their lives as disciples who follow Jesus and their story as those who grow with him. So Matthew, again, just for... Reflection was a Jewish tax collector who sold out his own people and yet was still found to have a place in the mission of Jesus. He was ripping off his own Jewish family members, his own Jewish community members. And Jesus showed up and said, you know what? I don't care if you're swindling people. You still have a place in my kingdom. Do you want to follow me? And here's your challenging assignment. You're actually going to go back and share my gospel. You're going to share my lordship with those who you were ripping off. It's a difficult assignment. He did it. Mark, the shortest gospel, was focused on the actions of Jesus. It's only 16 chapters, and there's not a lot of red letters. If you have a red-letter Bible, you go through Mark. There's not a lot of the words of Jesus. It's the actions of Jesus. It's what did Jesus do. He wrote most directly towards a Roman audience. We know that because many of the words that he used contained Latin idioms. He was writing to a Gentile audience, but he was also Jewish. Mark makes only one reference to the Old Testament in his Gospels. Matthew made 99. It just kind of tells you who they were trying to reach. And here is Luke, the only Gentile writer in the entire New Testament. And he is focused on the nations. You see, Matthew had an interesting assignment. He had to convince the special chosen people, the Jews, that they weren't the only ones that mattered. The Jewish people are like the only child that turns about five and then has their first sibling. They're like, wait a minute, what? This world doesn't totally revolve around me? The Jewish nation was having a hard time understanding that although they were God's special people, they weren't his only people. So Matthew had to say, you've got to make room for some other folks. And Luke's job was to go to the other folks and say, no, you are actually welcome here. That's one of the biggest challenges I'm finding in culture today as I meet with people and talk with people. There are so many people right now, and this is not a criticism, I don't even know what to do about it, but pray about it. When it comes to belonging, that there are people who are curious about Jesus and love Jesus and do not know how to do this with us. There's some magnificent (coughs) hurdle. That people could actually feel they could show up in their broken place and in their mess and just belong. I want that more than anything. I want people from all walks of life to feel like they can come together and worship together at the foot of Jesus. That we would have diversity, but not for diversity's sake. We would have diversity because of unity's sake. That we care so much about unity that diversity would be the byproduct. It seems anymore in our world, sometimes we pursue diversity and we end up getting more division because we're focused on what makes us different. But what makes us the same is that we are poor in spirit. We are all falling short by way of our behavior to qualify for the kingdom of heaven. He says, don't worry. Jesus says, don't worry. I took care of that with my blood. Everyone is welcome. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but everyone can come to him. So it's exclusive and it's inclusive. Everyone's welcome. There's one way to get there. This is what Luke was talking about. I want to show you just this short video clip. This was from a trip that I had the opportunity to take. Many of you know, went to Western Turkey in February and March of 2022. And we had a chance to sit in Ephesus for a few minutes and hear from Dr. Randy Smith about the potential origins of and the motivations for Luke taking such orderly account and doing the testimonial work to gather his story together. And I want you to hear a little bit about uh, some interesting things about the origins of where this might have come from as it pertains to Luke and Paul and their journey together.
3: So check this out. We want to get you to be able to focus on one thing for just a few moments. I'd like you to focus on the letter that Paul wrote in the year 6162-ish, from his light chain arrest in Rome to the church at Ephesus. Now, imagine you're Paul and you're under a light chain arrest. What that means is there's a guy sitting there while you're waiting to see the emperor, whose main job is to get you in front of the emperor on time. Claudius, before this time, used to do maestus trials, trials over subversion. So it could be 2 a.m. that the emperor can't sleep and he calls for somebody to be brought in for a trial. So when we say a trial, it's not well-prepared documents. It's a grand argument done orally without supporting documents, without a jury. This is a maestus trial. There's a jury of one, he's the emperor. You're only going to get one judgment, and it's all up to his whim. What you can do, however, is submit your case to an advocate to know ahead of time all of the salient details. In my opinion, and it's just my opinion, others disagree with me, of course they have the right to be wrong if they want to be, but it's my opinion that the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts are designed not only as two parts of a trilogy without the finishing piece but also designed to be given to the advocate of Paul in Rome so Luke is writing something like this I guess you're wondering how a doctor from Macedonia and a five-foot-tall balding Jewish guy uh, from Tarsus ended up in jail and before the Emperor well it all started with a guy named Jesus And he goes back and does I'm going to put all this in order Theophilus because you're getting a lot of stuff sent to you and you're you're going to get all loaded up. I just want you to know who Jesus was (coughs) and then I want you to know Jesus was raised and then I want you to know the acts of the risen Lord done through his apostles and that's going to get you to where we are and I think what he was doing is using now I don't think the book of Luke and the book of Acts are that that in finished form. I think the notes for it come from that. And then out of that, the interviews that he collected up were to give him a basis to the advocate for something to say. Can't prove it, lots of people agree with me. We think we've got, we've got a case. As we step out as disciples in ways
0: that truly alter the trajectory of our lives, think about that. When we follow Jesus, it should change the way that we're living. As we step out and the trajectory of our lives, our change, that there is an explanation that involves Jesus. <clears throat> Why are you living like that? Why are you giving your time away? Why are you giving your resources away? We need an explanation of Jesus. Paul and Luke needed an explanation of their behavior. Why are you disrupting the Roman government? It works just fine as it is. He goes, no, it doesn't. We need Jesus. We're going to throw you in jail. Okay, well, I'm here and I have to tell you about Jesus. Right? Our lives as disciples are influenced by Jesus, and then we need him as an explanation, right? Luke was reaching out to those who were poor. We talked about last week, Lauren did a great job of explaining that it didn't just mean financially poor. It meant anyone that felt marginalized or kicked to the edge or not in a place of influence within their society. He came to set the prisoners free. He brought good news, proclaimed good news to the poor. Anyone who felt rejected and on the outside. I want to tell you about this priest real quick, this Peruvian theologian named Gustavo Gutierrez. We have a picture of Gustavo up here. This was written about Gustavo in a blog by Craig Greenfield, who's the founder of Alongside International, pretty cool ministry, reaching out to those who feel marginalized in this life. This is what Craig said. He said, Peruvian theologian and priest to the margins, Gustavo Gutierrez, put his finger on a sore spot for Western Christians when he spoke these prophetic words and asked a simple but super awkward question. Um, if you say you love the poor, tell me then, what are their names? Something within us instinctively knows that if we truly care about the poor, we cannot hold those who are marginalized at arm's length. We cannot settle for just an end-of-the-year donation to a charity of our choice in exchange for a tax receipt. A few coins dropped in the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas do not constitute compassion for the poor. Neither does a check to the global nonprofit or buying a cool t-shirt from the latest hipster anti-trafficking startup. Listen, please do make your donations. Your donations make a difference. But don't settle for mere distribution push towards mutually transformative relationship. As followers of Jesus, we follow the one who came to bring good news to the poor, Luke 4:18), but didn't settle for dropping bread rolls from heaven to feed the 5,000 or thunderbolts from the sky to heal the disabled. Deep down, we may feel drawn towards personalizing our giving. We want to know who and where and what we are giving towards. We want to know the names at the other end of our generosity. And I think this instinct is right and good. We all somehow sense that giving in the context of relationship is more transformative because in the context of relationship, we have the opportunity to be transformed ourselves. Jesus knew that including ourselves amongst those who were poor would be the traction we needed to grow as actual disciples of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are all poor. We are dirt poor. When we get real honest about the condition of our soul and our need for Jesus, we are all the same. Every single human on this planet. What makes the difference is calling upon the name of Jesus for the work of transformation. And when we find our own poverty, it just gets real easier to get along with most people. Even the ones that are super different than us. Oh, those rich people, oh, those poor people, oh, those Republican people, oh, those Democrat people, oh, those street people, oh, those gay people, Like all them, all those other people, them. When we start filling our language with words like them, we've come across a really significant barrier that's hard to overcome in relationship. Those people, them over there, those homeless folks. Whatever it happens to be, when we can say, oh, Lord, yeah, we have differences, and some of those differences are really actually pretty important, but we can find commonality. And we can find grace at the cross of Jesus. That's what Luke was up to. Writing to a group to say, you are included. I wonder if Luke felt like he was on the margins. Sometimes I wonder that. Because there's a pretty good chance in Acts chapter 16, we can throw this verse up there. In the book of Acts, the story of the early church, in Acts 16, we find this story. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, this is right where Asia and Europe run into each other, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Does that sound like the cry of someone who might have felt a little bit marginalized? Come over here and provide us some help. This was a vision. This was a vision that he had. So after Paul had seen the vision, It says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, including that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What's interesting is we know that Luke wrote this account. And everything before this story talks about they and them, and they traveled, and they went to these places, and then immediately after the story of the man from Macedonia, the language switches to inclusive language and first-person language. We went together. This is what happened for us. So there's a pretty good chance that... Luke was also writing himself into the story by including himself as the man who had the vision to call Paul. Interesting. Just a hypothesis, but again, all the language changes, as if now the author of the language has showed up in the story. Does that make sense? Inclusion. In the story, in the mission of Jesus. I want us to turn to Luke 18. Luke 18 beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people. (laughs) It's not just a Foxy and N problem. This was like a problem in first century Judaism too. I'm so glad I'm not like them over there. The robbers, the evildoers, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector in the corner points this dude out. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God have mercy on me. I am a sinner. He just wrestled with the depths of his brokenness. God, have mercy on me. I am a mess. Verse 14, I tell you, Jesus says, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. When Richard and I met about four and a half years ago, uh, he was part of my Get to Know the City of Everett tour. Mm-hmm. Now, there's 400,000 people in the city of Everett. And Don Kane, who many of you know, pastored with Mill Creek Forest, Forest for years and years and years. We were installed as the pastors of this church on July 8th, 2018. And I met my friend Richard on July 9th, the next day. Because the first place that we had to go in the whole city of Everett, and the first person that we had to meet in the whole city of Everett, was Don's friend Richard. He goes, we got to meet Richard. We're going to meet Richard at 9. Can you be here at 8.30? we got to make sure we got to go. Get, we get up there on Broadway, right off the Broadway, this brick home with a nice little patio, and we knock on the door. And before I met Richard, I met Barkley, his dog, who came running to the door. Barkley's friendly. He's uh, a good dog. Uh, but we had a chance to meet, and we had a chance to connect. And Richard's become a really dear friend of mine over the last couple of years. Like I said, there's so many people in Everett. Why Richard first? Why did Don Cain want me to meet Richard before anyone else? Because I believe that Richie, Richard knows that his filthy rags of righteousness just aren't enough. Like, he gets it. He, he gets that it. it's not a behavior contest. Richard just gets it, and I know that because he just freely shares more openly about his life uh, than most people that I know yeah, but uh, <laughs> we're just going to ask that God would give you his grace and that you would be known even more in this community to share a little bit about your story. So why don't you just give us, uh, in a few minutes, uh, what was going on in your life leading up to when you came to Everett? I came
4: to Everett on, I knew about Seattle. I had uh, I found myself in a position to where I was really sick because of my drug use. Uh, I was sitting in the bottom of my grandmother's basement smoking crack daily. I smoked it so much until my lungs started collapsing from the cocaine. And they started collapsing back to back to back. I had eight lung operations within a a short time. Finally, it got so bad until they had to put me on a machine that um, bypassed my heart and lungs so I I could stay alive. At the time, it was... uh, Um, It was experimental. Now it's something that they do, I I guess, regularly for people in car accidents and things like that. But uh, when I was released from the hospital, uh, some things had happened. And uh, my grandmother is 98 years old. She had been moved out of the house and placed in a nursing home. The house was no longer mine. They had taken her rights from her, signed her away from me, and taken the house away from me, which was my own. That was all I had left. Um, which at the time I couldn't handle it anyway. It's kind of a blessing that they took it away from me because I wouldn't have never been here. Um, so I I was given $500 to get out. I used that $500 to try to commit suicide. I, that was my plan. I was going to smoke until I died. I didn't die. My lung just collapsed again. We wound up back in the hospital. Uh, when I got out of the hospital that time, I... A friend of mine told me that I could stay on his couch. You don't need anything. Just stay here. I thought I was going to die on his chair. So I, I, I couldn't do it. And Seattle was the only place that I could think of to come. I loved it up here. I had been up here before. I had worked up here. And I thought if I could just make it to Seattle, I'd be okay. And so I didn't have any money. I had $5. And I bought a $5. It's a bus called a boat. And you can ride these buses really cheap. And so I bought a $5 bolt bus from Philadelphia to Baltimore. My plan was to hitchhike from Baltimore up here, but I couldn't make it because I was really sick. So I wound up back in the hospital in Baltimore. Uh, They found out where I was going and bought me a bus ticket up here to Seattle. So when I got up here to Seattle, I had a a breathing machine, (laughs) a backpack, and uh, that was it. And, um, I, I couldn't even stay in the shelters. I was too sick to stay in the shelters, so I went to the hospital. It was my like only choice. And uh, at the time, Seattle was a mess. This was 2016. Uh, it's not as bad as it was after that, but it was it was pretty bad. It was homeless everywhere. There was no room. There there was nothing. So they wound up giving me uh, a place in a tent city, <clears throat> which at the time I I was I was grateful for. I was walking by Pastor Don's church, Milkweek Foursquare, and I was hungry. I hadn't had any food for a while, and uh, I was like, hey, I'll go in there, and I'll ask for a bus ticket. And I met Pastor, I'll ask for a gift card to go get something to eat. And I met Pastor Don, and uh, Pastor Don was really friendly. He gave me the gift card. He said, hey, I'll take you over there if you want, you know, which he did. And we wound up, where are you staying? This is, I told him I am staying in the tent city. From the day that I met Pastor Don, my luck started changing. Uh, I was accepted into a program uh, through the YWCA that helps homeless people with housing. Uh, It's called Shelter Plus Care. I was really sick at the time, and they helped me get into the apartment in Everett, which was a really horrible place to live, but uh, it was someplace off of the street. My life started changing from there. But Pastor Don would come by and see me once a week, at least. Twice a week, we would go to the movies. I mean, I felt like, um, like I had to do this for him. Excuse me. Um, and I didn't want to let him down. And so that kept me sober. It kept me from doing drugs. It kept me from, there was, my block had five drug houses on it alone and Everett. And they would run up and down the street everywhere, you know. And um, it was kind of hard not to indulge. I swear to God, I heard that man's voice outside my apartment one night. Richard, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't him, but I swear. I, I... <laughs> and, uh, from there, I, I started. Uh, I, I started coming up. I my life changed. It, it, it changed for the better. I was homeless for 25 years before I went home to my grandmother. When I went home to my grandmother, I went there with the, I'm not going to do drugs anymore, but uh, it's hard to stop. It, it's really hard. And you got to have people that love you and people that uh, want to help you in order to, to beat it. And I beat it. You know? Um, not completely. I still have dreams. I, I still get the urge once in a while. You know, I I lived a very hard life for a very long time, and I thought nobody cared about me. I, I didn't think that I was worthy of anybody's love, really, because of the horrible things that I did to myself and the people that were around me. Uh, I just want everybody here in this room to know that if you can come from the pit that I came from, man, I'm sorry.
2: Thanks.
0: Give me a hand for Richard. The story of inclusion is magnificent. We're all, everyone has a space. That's what makes it inclusive. What makes it exclusive is that Jesus has a way for our lives, and we're all on a trajectory towards it. And none of us are there this side of heaven. And so it's okay to show up in our spaces like this and say, you know what, I'm still a work in progress. Still working the bugs out. And that's okay. The more we're honest with those things, the more we can beat our chests like the man in the corner, the woman in the corner that just says, Lord, have mercy on me. That's a beautiful story. I will never read from this passage again in Luke 18, verse 9, without thinking about Richard Scott. And we get to grow as as friends. And we were sitting on his couch the other day. Um, the Lord gave Richard a financial gift recently that allowed him to put some money in savings, but allowed him to do something he's never been able to do in his entire life, which is to buy a nice TV and a nice couch to sit on. And so he came into that he said, he goes, Pastor Chris, the Phillies are on. I mean, we're, getting, we're getting, it's going deep. And, like, you want to come over and watch a game? And I said, Yeah, I do. And so we sat on this brand new couch and watched this brand new TV. And he goes, This is the first time I ever had a living room. It always just, this living room space has always just been, it looks like it's been either moving in or moving out. But now I have a place to sit and be. God gave this to me so that I feel like I could just belong. And I'm like, Ah. The church needs to hear your story. And so I called Richard on Thursday and said, hey, bro, do you have time? Can you, can you, would you, and, and I thank God that he would come and would bless us with his story. This is the beauty of what's happening on in our community. Because when I remember, this is what I know after spending 20 plus years walking with people coming out of homelessness and addiction is that not everybody will change, but anyone can. And Richard's another example of anyone who can. And so as we interact in this community, as violence ticks up, as homelessness ticks up, as drug addiction ticks up, I want us to start seeing people like Luke saw people. Everyone's included. Even me. I could show up as I am and just work it out over time and not have my act totally together. Yep, that's the deal. As long as you're cool with me being that way too. That's the deal. So Lord, we just thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the power of story. God, thank you that You spoke to Lauren in such a way that she would just want to frame our version through our, our, our our study through Luke around the idea of telling story. Lord, we all have a story. Every person walking and breathing has a story that's worth hearing. Lord, do you want to engage with us in our story and redeem it? Lord, let us be a people that are welcoming. Lord, let this be a place where everyone belongs. And everyone can be transformed more into the image and the likeness of Jesus. That's discipleship, Lord. That's how we want to grow together. So bless us as we share a story with each other this morning, as we uh, pray for one another, encourage each other, as we are sent back into our week, Lord. There's people that need to share their story, and we have ears to hear it. Lord, help us be good listeners this week, inviting people in. And when given the opportunity to share the hope that we have, Lord, that we would do it boldly. and honestly and genuinely. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone say, amen.